Move Against Cancer podcast. We are your hosts, Gemma Hillier Moses, Move Charity founder, lover of all things running, travel, and tea. And I'm Lucy Gossage, oncologist, outdoor adventure lover, and 5K UA co founder. I'm Georgie Freeman, lover of exploring new places and the 5K UA manager. The reason we originally set up this podcast was to inspire and support and empower people to move and live an active and fulfilling life despite a cancer diagnosis. In this podcast, we want to share the stories of ordinary people doing incredible things as they find their own way to move against cancer. Going through cancer treatment can feel incredibly isolating and lonely. There's so much behind every individual cancer journey and so much of it is unseen and often unspoken. We want to explore the ways our guests navigate their way through the unimaginable. And we hope that by doing this, we can provide you with some tips, some tools and some inspiration to make your journey that little bit easier. We'll cover every aspect of living with and after cancer, from physical and psychological well-being, identity, goal setting, mindset, staying active, grief and loss, family and friends, and so much more. We will make you laugh, but we also may make you cry. But we guarantee that you'll take something away from every single episode. So we do really hope that you enjoy listening. Welcome to episode four of the Move Against Cancer podcast. It's Gemma here and I am back recording our podcast series. So today's episode is going to be with Jenny Wilson, who is one of our very own 5K Away Move Against Cancer ambassadors at Bedford. And Jenny is amazing. We're going to talk about her journey as an ambassador and why 5K Away Move Against Cancer initiative is really important to her. She is a GP and she was also diagnosed with breast cancer in her 40s and has a huge passion for exercise movement physical activity and challenges and she's going to be talking to us about her amazing fundraising challenge that she's doing for Move Charity but also on a personal note she's doing some incredible challenges um, that she is really really excited and looking forward to. So we can't wait to talk to Jenny today. Grab your cup of tea, sit tight and hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to the Move Against Cancer podcast, Jenny. It's amazing to have you on our episode today. Hi, it's great to be here as well. Yes, it's really funny to hear it said when I've listened to so many of them. (laughs) I know, and you were just saying you were listening to them on your bike, were you? That was the the place that you listened to. Yes, I I detest static biking. Well, I can't cycle, but I detest static biking. But it's a great way of getting fit. And so, yeah, I've relieved the boredom. Podcasts are always great when to listen to. Yeah, I, I go on the turbo as well, and I find a podcast gets me through it a lot easier than not listening to anything at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how are you after your race at, on Sunday? Was it at Bedford? You did a long one, didn't you? I did. So I'm training up. I'm training up to do an ultra marathon um, wow. with MK Marathon in about six weeks' time. Um, and so when my husband, I'm a GP, and when my husband uh, uh, saw that the medal for the Bedford Autodrome uh, Grand Prix had GP written in the name, he said, you should enter this. And I'm thinking, yeah, but I knew when I did Silverstone, that half marathon, it was boring as anything. <laughs> but I thought, well, I do need to do about a 16 mile run. So I'll go for that one. And well, as you know, Sunday was just after all the beautiful weather we've had. Uh, it was thick fog. You couldn't see a thing. It oh, was <laughs> it was cold. 
it was lonely. It was miserable. He saw me off at the start and then went home via the uh, via the burger van. But uh, <laughs> yeah. sounds like the best place to be. <laughs> yeah, but I got through it. I got through it, and uh, yeah, yeah, was happy happy with my time as well. So. Um, which to anybody else isn't isn't fast, but I didn't come last. So oh, and you're beating everybody sat on the couch, Jenny. So that's the yeah. that's the main thing. And like you say, sometimes the boring runs, like round you know round the race courses, that type of thing, are the ones that help you to train your brain. You become yeah. more resilient because you have yeah. to find something to entertain yourself. Yeah. So I'd always said Silverstone Half Marathon uh, a good few years ago now was the worst race race ever, but this definitely was. <laughs> in terms of boredom (laughs) never ever go to a a, to a racing circuit again (laughs) that's one merit it's never coming back to yeah the only merit is it's fairly flat so oh brilliant yeah that does help because sometimes the you know bad weather and um and hills can be quite brutal so yes yeah. That help. But it's absolutely amazing having you on, um, Jenny. And it's been, I've listened um, this morning, I actually listened back to a workshop that we did in lockdown. And it took me all the way back to how we kind of attacked lockdown with helping to provide some inspiration and support to people mm-hmm. during that time. And our workshops were something that we launched. Um, which we thought was a great idea. And actually listening back to them, I listened back to the one that Lucy, you, Georgie and Liz Arden did. And um, it was a fantastic workshop and gained so much information about you, getting to know you and your story and lots of tips and advice that people could take from it. Um, So make sure, you know, if you haven't seen them, to go back onto our YouTube channel, which is our Move Your Way resources um, and Move Your Way um, YouTube channel and you'll be able to find them there. But we're going to deep dive into Jenny's story and your background through um, through the podcast episode today. And I'm going to let you go into that, Jenny. But I think just to give people a little bit of background around your one of our amazing 5K Away Move Against Cancer Initiative ambassadors. You're also a GP. You've got a challenge going on this year, raising money for Move Charity. And also um, you were diagnosed with cancer as well. So one hell of a story, one hell of a journey. Where should we start? <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe the beginning when my first uh, beginning in interest in exercise, um, which wasn't really a, an interest. I was hopeless at school uh, at uh, anything that involved hand-eye coordination. I wear glasses um, and uh, I just couldn't cope with that. They did used to put me in goal because, yeah, uh, for hockey because um, that was the only place I was uh, yeah capable of being in the team I suppose um, and my sisters were always I've got three sisters they were always really really much better than me so um, anyway for some reason I don't know whether I was sixth form or whether I was sort of just before that at O levels in those days um, whether uh, what age I was exactly but uh, I had a row with the games teacher and my punishment was to be sent cross-country running with the boys. Oh, I, lo- yeah. I, I hate it when they used exercise as a punishment, but it probably yeah. worked for you, I'm guessing. It, it backfired. Yeah. <laughs> because the next week I said, can I go again, please? Brilliant. <laughs> so they let me. And, uh, and then they realised, well, actually, girls can run. Um, and so there's generations, I'm sure, of, of girls at, at Commonwealth School in Swindon who uh, have uh, cursed the fact that I started cross-country running for girls there. 
Um, and in fact, that run is now an official race, the Commonweal Five Mile. Um, really? Wow. So, yeah, which I've done once. Um, and it's still downhill out, uphill back. Um, but oh, yeah. that sounds tough. <laughs> <laughs> amazing that even back then you you know you took something that could have been a negative as like a detention type um punishment turned it yeah. into a positive and that's how yeah. you started your love for running yes yeah and I enjoyed other things at school the outdoor activities so um caving kayaking canoeing that I I did in summer holidays um things like that yeah so um so I was an outdoors sort of person anyway um just not uh, all sports yeah. So, uh, yeah yeah and then at uni well again it, it's really difficult as a medical student you have these first two years or where I studied in Leeds as a, a really hard um course so you know whereas some of the the art students had that was like cat screaming in the background sorry <laughs> She's just been... why we get the cat screams because she's saying is it thank you for the thank you for the food thank you for having fed me yeah so <laughs> <laughs> all about so, on these podcasts we have all sorts going on in the background it's absolutely fine <laughs> yes. so um yeah so I'm now forgetting where I was so as a student obviously my first two years were really heavy study but also I was poor as as we were uh, and so I used to walk uh probably five six miles a day into Leeds from Headingley uh to Union wow. Black um, but then once we got to clinical studies, we were often um, shipped away. We were doing we were doing sometimes nights. We were doing awkward hours. Um, and so I just used to go off and run on my own. And in fact, one of the interesting routes that I used to do is now Woodhouse Moor Park Run in Leeds. Um, because I used to go and run around Woodhouse Moor, discover all the cross cross ways that you can go diagonally and round the edges and so on so so um yeah and then as a junior doctor again working at times every other night in those days um as well as all daytimes again it was just going out before work um having a quick run around that kept me sane and yeah and stress-free I was just going to say to to come on that because we do have a lot of medical um, students and healthcare professionals who listen to the podcast how important is it to look after yourself your health and well-being when going through that process of becoming qualified education and um, even actually you know in your job today how important is it to keep looking after yourself and how easy it is is it to let everything go and then have everything feel like it's going on top of you and you get very overwhelmed with the work that's going on I think, yeah, it's absolutely crucial. I mean, I probably realised that fairly early on, but I think even more people have realised it in the last couple of years with lockdown and COVID and so on. Actually, we can't help others if we don't look after ourselves. Um, so it, it's crucial that it's crucial, I mean, to find actually the type of exercise or movement that we enjoy, um, because if we enjoy it, um, or find a way to enjoy it, like with the static bike, then that's what will will keep us going. Um, yeah. And and tell me about your. So I listened to this on the workshop, and I was hoping you can talk about it, but I'll bring it up anyway. Tell me about 
so there's obviously the running part of the life but the gym came in at some point when your mother at 80 years old was recommended to go to the gym and most people at that age would probably be like no actually you know I've not done this my whole life I'm not about to start now can you give us a little bit of insight into that story yeah so so um yeah I was mum was 38 when I was born 40 when my triplet sisters were born um but as she came into her later 70s, she really struggled with, with unsteadiness, osteoarthritis, a bit of dizziness and so on. Um, and the uh, consultant rheumatologist suggested that she might benefit from doing exercise, um, went to see a physio uh, who suggested the gym. So she joined the gym down the road, aged 80. That's incredible. Um, so I would have been 42, I suppose, at that time. And, uh, and then she she got a free pass to try it. And I was, always said, I'm an outdoor girl, you know. I was still running a bit, um, but I'm an outdoor girl, but not interested in gym. Um, but I tried out this free pass and realised that actually there were things I could do. I enjoyed doing the weights. Um, and it had a pool, so that was good. Um, and I particularly liked the sauna and the, uh, the steam room. Um, as a place where you could really relax. And as a Christian, actually, I could just go in there on my own and pray. So, yeah. uh, so that was, that was great. Um, so yes, so that's how I started going to the gym was because my mum was doing it. Um, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, um, it, and it, I guess it for you, it was looking and we'll come on to this around um, how important exercise is and the different variations and like you say finding out what's right for you but if you didn't try it you'd never know and I always think sometimes it's about helping to inspire people to take the first step because that would have been really difficult for your mum especially and actually quite daunting to go into a gym environment but all she did was take the first step and actually then yeah. probably found that she really enjoyed it whereas yeah. often people get a little bit protective and don't and feel quite vulnerable about taking that first step and it can be quite difficult yes yes and I think it's finding as well with gyms I mean they're expensive um so you've got to, if you're going to go and um, yeah because I'm a miser at heart I uh, you know if I'm, if I'm going to have this gym membership then I'm going to go two or three times a week to make the most of it and to make it cost effective um but actually the thing that I've noticed more recently so I'm not a member of a gym now. I, I gave that up during COVID. Um, but just prior to COVID, uh, I was a member of our local um, gym that's the, um, the council gym. So nothing like as posh, no saunas and steam rooms in there. Uh, but actually all the kit that you needed. And I then found that rather than going to the, the, the one that was in the posher nicer area of town I really enjoyed going into the one that was in the other on the other side of town where they did all the um the cardiac rehab and patients with strokes and uh and those with with um COPD and lung problems and just seeing the way that they were involved they were involved in group work they were involved in individual stuff people were taking them you know on those static bikes that are a sort of more lying down and they had special things to support where they got one leg that wouldn't work properly because it was paralyzed it was yeah. just such a joy to see people moving in that environment totally accepted with their disabilities yeah absolutely and, and I think it it shows doesn't it that people you're being inspired by 
those groups of people who are focusing on what they can do, not necessarily what you can't do. And being surrounded by that and that environment can really help to to show that you can look at things and do things differently to what the norm used to be like 10, 15 years ago when prescribing exercise to different disease populations um, or different disabilities. And I think that's really important to to know now that that is moving forward. Yes. And I mean, obviously, I'm interested because I've had cancer in the in the cancer side of things. But I'm a GP that's got a widespread interest in in actually everything. I don't have a particular interest really in women's health. Um, that just came about by chance. Um, but one of the things that I, I did a few years ago was to set up the practice that I'm in uh, as a park run practice to encourage um, yeah, members of practice staff, but to encourage patients as well that increasing our movement is just so important, not just for, for, for those with cancer, um, but for those with, with all sorts of conditions or no condition yet. Um, yeah. So, and, and did you, um, we're going to talk about your cancer diagnosis and when that happened and what that process was, but do you, did you feel strongly about that before you were diagnosed? No, um, but then I was diagnosed 14 years ago. So um, yeah. it's really since my diagnosis that this interest has started to come about. Yeah. So look, when were you, so let's talk about cancer diagnosis. So take us through that journey and, and how that came about. Yeah. So I suppose I must have been 42 when I joined the gym and I was getting more active. I was overweight um, at that stage as well, having had uh, a babe in 1998. Um, and uh, yeah, just completely by chance, really. Um, I'd never done any self-examination or anything. Um, and uh, thought, oh, there's something odd about my left breast. So went to my GP who said, yes, definitely something odd about that. So I was put into the, the two-week pathway. Yeah. Um, so went and had the uh, went and had the mammogram, and that was clear, apart from one tiny bit of calcification. Ultrasound, again, didn't show anything about apart from one tiny bit of calcification. But everybody could feel this this sort of knobbly um, feeling lump there. Um, so they said it's probably entirely normal, um, but we'll see if we can see if we can uh, get a diagnosis uh, just to confirm that. Um, so I had what was then an, an ultrasound guided biopsy. So that was the oddest experience ever. So they did an ultrasound stuck a needle in it um, and then walked me in my gown with the back open through the x-ray department most embarrassing experience ever oh, to the mammogram machine um, I gather they've got it a bit more set up nowadays than then yeah to mammogram with that and yeah. said we think it'll all be fine got me back like a week later and said no it's definitely cancer um, oh. it's a lobular cancer um, and they sometimes don't show on mammograms or X, uh, or ultrasound. Um, so it shows but, us how important it was to push for answers as well, because sometimes you can yes, accept, yeah. can't you? And actually, when you know some things or you have that feeling that something's not quite right, it's important yes. to find that out. I mean, I was perfectly fit and well. I was running um, sort of up to 5K regularly and, and gym and everything. Um, so I wasn't ill in any way. 
Um, and then they did a, then they confirmed as well with a an MRI. I think that was probably in the early days of MRI in breasts. But again, that's the the oddest, but not quite so embarrassing experience because it didn't walk through the department. But uh, lying there front down with the boobs dangling in these pockets in the MRI is <laughs> is the oddest experience. They and they don't, you know, you're never prepared for that reality, are you, to have all these different. Yeah. Strange. And it takes it takes 35 40 minutes as well so it's you know, low, lying there absolutely you know still with your boobs dangling yeah um, yeah as women yeah you're just exposed to a lot aren't you and um, yeah, yeah. And I was quite a large lady at that point so it was yeah I never used to lie on my front <laughs> so no so it's a, a different experience and yeah um, I was going to ask you that just to jump in with your when you started you had the diagnosis you started the treatment how did um being fit and active pre-diagnosis help you to one handle the treatment because I don't think this is actually talked about enough but also potentially cope a little bit better with the mental side of um having you know having all that treatment being exposed being in hospital um, that side of things. Yeah, I suppose just to go back a step. So yeah, total shock. I'm fit and healthy. I'm running. I'm I'm doing these things. I've done the race for life a couple of times, um, and uh, but um, the first problem I think, and as a GP, well, I think it's a problem for everybody that communication. But as a GP, the the consultant surgeon was a brilliant communicator, um, and he was really helpful. The oncologist, I have to say less so, um, without naming any names. Uh, <laughs> but he he obviously had thought, fellow doctor. So he just bombarded me with science when given the, the choice of whether I was to start with chemotherapy, um, which may then prevent me having a, a mastectomy, or should I just go straight for the mastectomy? That, that's um, really it, interesting when you said fellow doctor, so assumptions were made. So assumptions were made, and in the end I stopped him. And my husband's not a doctor either, so he um, he was being bombarded with science he'd no idea about. But again, I'm, I'm a GP, I'm not a, an oncologist. Um, and I'm a, yeah, I'm not the most academic of GPs either, despite being a GP teacher. Um, I'm much more into the touchy-feely communication um, and years of experience type teaching so um so in the end I just stopped him and said you know I'm just an ordinary woman with hormones that are all over the place at the moment um what would you choose if I was your wife that's um, an amazing thing to turn it around wow yeah. yeah little knowing he was divorced but that's another matter you don't know <laughs> he just instantly said I'd go for the chemo first. And that's all you yeah. wanted to know, wasn't it? That's all I wanted to know. And I've noticed over 14 years that actually there's, in those days, it was fairly early, I think, for having chemo first. Um, but um, but now it's much more commonly done than that people have the chemo first. Um, and do you think what that's... I didn't say was actually there's almost no chance of you getting away with not having a mastectomy. Um, okay, and that's what you'd rather... So no so that's what I had in the end um yeah yes yeah so I had chemo then I had mastectomy then radiotherapy and how important do you feel it is to look at how you communicate as a doctor GP oncologist because 
I think, like you say, often it's just uh, so your oncologist communicated in probably his normal way. And actually, yeah. is, is it important to think about who you're talking to and tailor things in the right way? It is. And, and, and I've thought a lot about that since and was thinking about it as I was prepping, prepping for this. And I do a lot of I teach GP registrars. So they're they're qualified doctors who are going to be um, who are going to be uh, um, GPs when they finish that. Um, and I also have done quite a lot of teaching with medical students as well. Um, and communication is is really difficult. Um, and the other thing I'm part of is a group that Liz O'Riordan set up, which is of doctors who've got or had cancer. Um, and it's it's very difficult because we all certain things upset some of us more than others. So, I mean, the typical one is, you know, the cancer battle. Um, yeah, that people talk about and is it a battle or isn't it a battle? And there are other things, you know, some people want everybody to know and others don't. Um, and I think that the my advice to the, the juniors is, yeah, to try to get to know your patient, but don't make assumptions. So if your patient is a fellow doctor, yes, they've got the same MBCHB or MB qualification. But actually, they may be completely different in other ways. Uh, so they might not have that that knowledge of that experience. So it, it's really going along and, and not being afraid to ask, how do you want me to do this? Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you want me to communicate with you? Um, yeah. What level do you want me to pitch that at? Yeah. Because some doctors do want to be bombarded with all the science and know all the statistics. I don't. I yeah. just, yeah, the statistics frustrate me because I just want to know, is that going to be me or is it not going to be me that's yeah. going to have this side effect or that survival? You know, will I live? Will I not live? Um, yeah. I think I, I was quite similar to you, Jenny. When I was diagnosed with cancer, me and my partner, who's now my husband, we said, so we just wanted to know, like, you know, if you were to choose one option, what would that be? And mm. also you know, when I was given the forms about all of the side effects, we said, you know, if I read through all these, I might as well jump out the window now because like they're, you know, some of them are horrific. So it's great to know about them. But but like you say, everyone copes really differently. Actually, I didn't want to know about them at all. I just had a tunnel vision of, okay, I'm not going to worry about this because if they happen, they happen. But I just want to go through step by step and that's it. But everybody, like you say, everybody copes really differently. And I think it was interesting when you said about the battle and the fight against cancer. And when I was going through my treatment, I actually used the fight to motivate me. And I never looked at it in the way that people are looking now, especially when people um, are talking about relatives that they've lost um, to cancer. And I absolutely agree. You know, you don't, it's not the fight. You're not fighting cancer, There's no win or lose, but that still resonates to some people to get them through what they need to get through all the hard times. So like you said, everybody is so different in what they think, they feel, they cope. And that needs to be understood from all levels of healthcare professionals. But so. yeah. yeah. In the same way that in when we're teaching, different people have different learning styles. So I'm a very visual learner and I learn by experience. I learn by hearing stories um, and looking at where the textbook differs from the actual reality. Whereas, you know, I've had trainees who can just sit and just absorb written text in a way that I never can. Um, yeah. 
That's so we're all very different in the way we learn. And so not surprisingly, we're, di we're different in the way we, we prefer to communicate. Yeah, and I loved it, what you said about actually asking the patient how they would prefer to be communicated with, because I think mm -hmm. probably don't get that a lot. And to, to you to be teaching that to medical students, I think that is so important um, because, you know, you're still a human being at the end of the day when you're diagnosed with cancer. Um, yes. I remember I remember when I was in hospital and one of the consultants brought in about six um, medical students, but the way he did it wasn't great. And I felt like I was just a number and just being mm -hmm. talked about while they were all chatting and discussing my case. And I think that that could have been dealt with very differently and remembering that I'm human and I'm not just a patient is um, is super important. And I know people have probably been through quite similar things to that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so how well, I know you mentioned about the WhatsApp group with Liz, and I think that's um, especially for doctors who have had cancer. And I think that's really um, amazing to hear that that was created. But how did you find that helped you cope? And what maybe tips or um, bits of advice did you get from that that really helped you through your treatments? Um, none, because it was cre created long after I was diagnosed. So, yeah, when I was when I joined that group, it was right at the beginning um, because I'd been following Liz on Twitter when she set it up. Um, and so I've been. Yes, I, I put my experience into that group um, and I've learned stuff because I did have. I have had a couple of little scares um, about uh, bleeding and uh, whether I might have cancer of the womb from the tamoxifen that I was taking. Uh, okay. And the group was a real support in that. Um, and I've also used it because it's way of, as a GP, a way of getting information, um, knowing that there was a haematologist in the group. So when I got a GP haematology question, somebody I knew that I was friendly that I could ask advice from that was completely separate to um uh, to the role of group or anything just met but meant that i'd i'd met her and could ask advice about patients on a confidential basis um yeah, yeah. so it's really yeah really yeah. good and actually it's really nice to see that outside of work or your own professional environment doctors and experts are connecting in that way and um yes. we're seeing it even more so through you know social media platforms that type of thing and I think like yeah. for example my Twitter is just full of healthcare professionals and I actually people often say things like Twitter are really toxic but mine is wonderful because there's so yes. many healthcare professionals connecting with each other supporting each other yes um, and I think that's amazing to see and be part of as well yes yeah so um, there's all sorts of, of benefits and and uh, sort of watching the group now so I don't have much input into the group anymore um, but just seeing there are topics that crop over up over and over again. And a lot of them are just the practical things, you know, thinking about scarves, thinking about wigs, thinking about uh, those sorts of practical aspects. But then there, um, there are there is high powered scientific stuff, obviously, to do with certain treatments and so on. Um, menopause, uh, those sorts of things. Um Yes, so all sorts of, of questions and things that are coming up. And the, the other one, um, I suppose, is finance as well. Yeah, um, yeah because uh, for, for us as working doctors, um, or being hit at the age of 45, as I was, uh, there are then financial questions to throw into the mix. 
if you're needing sick leave or I was um, I was actually locuming at the time so I had no cover whatsoever um wow. yeah, yeah. so, so there's realities of all of that yes of where to go for help and to thinking about disability thinking about pensions uh, all that sort of you know potential information and the advantage clearly of a, a doctor group is that we can um yeah things are common to us in that sort of yeah i i think liz as well she said didn't she about how look she knew how to talk to people with cancer in terms of from a doctor's hat but when she was diagnosed she didn't know how to cope she didn't know actually that you lost your hair at this point in time she didn't know the full realities or emotional mm -hmm. impact of it and I think sometimes there's an assumption placed on a doctor that you know everything even if it's not your area of expertise like we were saying yeah. and actually yeah. that you know when you're diagnosed as a doctor it's sometimes even worse because people just assume that you know what to know yeah yeah whereas my thoughts about breast cancer as a gp so i was clearly used to diagnosing it ladies coming with breast lumps and i'd end up referring um but i knew nothing about the treatment um and actually i realized i knew nothing about the prognosis because many of the many of the ladies that i was looking after with a breast cancer diagnosis were palliative um, and so I was doing terminal care and, and that sort of thing um, but that's actually really few ladies with breast cancer in terms of a percentage it's quite a lot in terms of total numbers but um, but when you think about the survival rates of breast cancer which are uh, continuing to increase and improve um, but I was only seeing the palliative because if they were diagnosed on a mammogram they never came anywhere near me yeah. And if I diagnosed them uh, or suspected a diagnosis, they might come back and tell me a bit about it. Um, but they might not. They might just stick with with the hospital and, and the surgery and so on. Um, and often I I didn't know anything about their outcomes or what was happening. So, um, yeah, so I went in there thinking, well, I've got breast cancer. I'm going to die. Yeah. Um, because of the group I was looking after. Um so that's yeah, and that's so that's yeah, your reality of your experience as well from a doctor and personal. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. isn't it? And every doctor's experience is different, isn't it? I mean, you know, we we talk about the number of diagnoses of something we would see in a career lifetime or how many a year we'd see. Um, and just thinking of of the cancer associated with asbestos. Um, and the thought is that one GP lifetime of work. Well, I saw three in a year. Um, so statistics yeah. are so, yeah, complex, aren't they? Yeah, um, yeah. And sometimes they don't bring in the reality of, yeah, it's like research, isn't it, to practical implementation. Yeah. It's so, sometimes it can be quite far removed from that. Um, yes. So let's talk about exercise then. And how did that play an important role for you when coping with being diagnosed and also has your approach to working um or when you see people who've been diagnosed with cancer come see you as a gp has your advice changed um from pre-cancer to post-cancer i think so yes i mean clearly uh, i mean i was diagnosed in 2008 so my treatment went over 2008 2009 
and, and then 10 years of tamoxifen. Um, but when I was first diagnosed, there was no talk of exercise. Um, so my, my consultant oncologist was very into the dietary stuff. So I knew all about goji berries and I knew all about the benefits of broccoli for prostate cancer. Uh, and that you could probably sort of transfer that knowledge across to uh, um, to breast cancer as well. Um, but exercise wasn't mentioned. But because I was fit, I used to walk to my chemo sessions. Um, I couldn't walk home. I felt grotty afterwards. But yeah, but, uh, during the, the, those three week cycles, I would gradually build up. I didn't do any running during the chemo. Um, but gradually built up the amount I was walking. And were you, um, told, were you just just on that point, sorry, Jenny, were you told um, to, to do that or were you kind of try, persuaded maybe not to do that? I just did it off my own back. I didn't, didn't tell anybody who I was doing it. I just did it. I mean, people around me, oh, you know, we must come and give you a lift. We must do this. We must do that. We must protect you, yeah. Um, the other thing I did, which, again, I don't think I told anybody about and I've only just remembered is that um, because I I I, I cancelled my gym membership um, clearly because there wasn't I didn't want to be anywhere where um, it would be more risk of infection. Um, so I was thinking, how can I keep up that muscle strength? So one of the things that I started to do was a little bit of weights work at home, um, and it was in the days of We Fits. Uh, oh, so yeah, I, used to, <laughs> I used to slowly jog on the spot in my living room <laughs> around this island, as it were. <laughs> so, so doing that. Um, but actually, it was it was the talk about weights um, because my brain told me because when I got to the stage of having the surgery and they were talking about all the problems of lymphedema uh, and uh, having had. Um, uh, lymph nodes removed from your armpit um, and I was clearly worried about that um, because I didn't want to use the, the use of, of my left arm uh, in any way or swelling or whatever um, and so um, so I carried on lifting weights I mean not huge amounts but lifting weights and keeping fit uh, in that way and I carried on doing it with a pick line in when I was having chemo as well um, and they were all saying, you, know, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. Um, like I can. <laughs> well, why not? Where's the evidence? Well, there isn't any evidence. Okay, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I, I shall do this. I feel better for it. If I feel better for it mentally, who yeah. cares? I don't think it, I can't see that it will do me any harm. It may not do me any good, but it, I can't see it will do me any harm. Yeah. Um, whether it's because of that or a good surgeon, I've only had minimal lymphedema once when I was at a church conference that we were camping at uh, on Lincoln Showground, which is incredibly windy, and our marquee started to blow away, and I caught it <laughs> to stop oh, it damaging the car, and I had lymphedema after that. Um, yeah, and a few times since, just just a tiny bit, but minimal really. Um, and yeah. I think that's a really good example of you understanding, and I've heard this so much from people who have exercised during cancer treatment or, you know, found, yeah, tried different things. And sometimes, yes, there are people that go too far 
but actually mm -hmm. often you do understand your own body and you will stop if something hurts and I yes. think that's that's sometimes like you it's a bit of trial and error if you're honest mm -hmm. because again same with a doctor or a cancer ear instructor telling you something it is a bit of trial and error there's no yes. you know, we don't have a magic wand to understand everything about how the body's going to respond but I think yes. if you take that approach little by little step by step it can often work really well yeah and maybe it didn't benefit the pick line because my pick line didn't have quite the length of life that some have. Um, so maybe that was one of the reasons. Maybe also the fact that uh, um, I play a viola as well. So I'm using um, using the arm for, for moving um, yeah. in a slightly different way. But uh, yeah. But it's trying to carry on as what how you know to carry on if that makes sense and yes. I, did all, I did all sorts with my Hickman line so I won't go into details about that <laughs> yeah. some recommended some not yeah. I didn't swim yeah didn't swim. <laughs> so you you kept them happy at the hospital a little bit. yeah um, so if you were giving advice to somebody who was diagnosed with cancer right now, who's going for their treatment from your own experience, what would you say to them around that exercise movement and that side of things? Yeah. Um, to do what you enjoy, but not to expect great things. So to be willing to stop when you're more tired than usual and so on. Um, but yes, yeah to particularly to to ignore those comments that um that it's not a benefit um and that they need wrapping in cotton wool um yeah because the mental health benefits of exercising are huge yeah 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 and, and that's what people it's not just a physical tool it's also a mental tool and i think that's as yes. important as any and also what people need to understand is I think people get really scared and we talk about this a lot when you say exercise but exercise yeah. you know can be broken down into movement physical activity sports exercise it can be structured completely unstructured it could just be you know moving from your seat when you're watching tv and doing you know just going to get a cup of tea yeah. that's the start and it depends partly where you've started I mean I know you've done pub podcasts with elite athletes um I'm not an elite athlete I never would have been um but uh, but yes, it, it's pitching at where we're at. I suppose the one thing that concerns me a bit, because I was saying, oh, you know, you need to be really, really, really careful about gardening. Uh, gardening's a great exercise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, asking for help with those prickles, particularly. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the rest exactly. of it, why not? And just making sure that you're gloved up enough that that nothing is going to enter through it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah, looking at some activities. And yes, you do need to take some precautions to protect yourself, but yes. making some steps to be able to move as well. And I yeah. think what we're trying to create on here is, um, so this is what we're trying to do with our 5K away groups. You know, we have over 190 mm -hmm. ambassadors. We're trying to share stories like yours, Jenny, on our podcasts yes. and on our workshops, that people who are now diagnosed with cancer, we want you to be able to we want to provide you a platform or a community where you can ask those questions yes. and there'll be somebody who's had similar experience to you who can answer them and mm -hmm. they might be a healthcare professional they might be a cancer instructor or they just might be somebody who's been through it themselves and them telling you your sto their story mm -hmm. will help you navigate through your journey yes yeah but emphasizing as well that it can be um 
yes any level of activity and i mean the great thing with our i mean it's called park run isn't it and, and in some ways i wouldn't have named it that in retrospect yeah because people always say oh but it's running isn't it i said no, yeah it to be running yeah you know? and, and bedford's really good because where well they say it's two and a half laps it's two and two thirds definitely uh that's more than yeah you can't have halves of different sizes um but uh um but the good thing about uh about it is it, it is two and a half laps so there are cutout points at all so you you know come along for the first time you don't have to do full 5k obviously you don't get time if you don't do the full 5k but um, but yes, we've certainly got a chap I was chatting with the other day um, at our latest one who, you know, last time just did one lap, uh, enjoyed doing that. Um, this time, because he's in a, in a different stage of, of treatment and so on, uh, managed the whole 5K. Um, That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and I think um, I always say this. So we're in a world now where we want quick information and seeing the name Park Run people just read that and then get switched off. However, if you read a lot of the stories that Parkrun share on their website, on their social media, and deeped a little bit deeper into it, mm. you'd be able to see that there's all sorts of abilities, experiences, people coming from all sorts of, walk of walks of life that are mm. taking part in Parkrun, but from walking, volunteering, doing half of it. And I think that's why for us, as 5k away move against cancer groups link to park run it's really important that we are pushing that message as well and yes. showing you that whatever level yeah. you're at you could come and do 100 meters if you wanted to or you know volunteering is a fantastic way of being outdoors reducing social isolation but being a little bit active without having to do 5k or 2k yes. or 1k for example a good way to start and just see what goes on sometimes that's all you need to do even if you just came and cheered yes. see what goes on then make your decisions and what you want to do yeah and the same applies to the park run practice initiative as well um yeah yeah and i think people can get intimidated by the faster runners at the front but i've spent many a time um, at the back with the tail walkers for our 5k away groups and it's the best place to be at the back with the tail walkers and you if you don't worry about those at the front it's like anything in life it's a decision that you make to either worry about people at the front or actually just enjoy where you are present in the moment and be happy to be with the tail walkers at the back because it's the best place anyway <laughs> yes no and it's it's great fun and so encouraging I mean our, our um, park run our 5k away uh, last weekend we had a lady who celebrated her 80th birthday. Um, That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so absolutely yeah. great. So it shows the age range of it. So let's ask you, um, Jenny, I was just going to ask, how did you and why did you get involved with our 5K Away initiative? I suppose starting from why did I get involved in Parkrun originally, um, my brother-in-law wasn't one of the original, however many it was, 15 at Bushy. Um, but he was involved very early on. So I was hearing, hearing about Parkrun in Bushy and then in um, various places afterwards. And they kept saying, kept saying, it's coming to Bedford, it's coming to Bedford, it's coming to Bedford. And eventually it did. So I was involved in the first one there. Wow. Um, so how many years two, after that was founded? Did um, so we started in Bedford in 2011. So about three years after my cancer. 
yeah. uh, diagnosis. Um, so I was involved in doing it uh, regularly then. Um, and then I ended up doing London Marathon a couple of times. And the second time I, I did it for guide dogs, second time I did it, um, I ended up with an injury. Um, and so uh, ended up going to see a physio who was one of the run directors. Oh, um, oh no. <laughs> said, oh, you're there quite often. Would you be a run director? And so I became a run director for Park Run about four years ago, I suppose. Yeah, um, you're a woman of many skills and talent. <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, because of that, then uh, one of the other run director's wives was diagnosed with, with breast cancer um, just about the time or very soon afterward you, you put out that notice about, um, about uh, 5K your way. Um, so we weren't, we weren't one of the very first, but we were involved quite early on. It was me and Lucy when we were just the duo of us. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So, um, yes, I think Bedford was going probably a year, possibly slightly more than that before lockdown. Yeah. yeah, so were you kind of looking at and thinking, actually, I could set up a group, a 5K away group to help other people that have been diagnosed with cancer? And what did you expect? Like, what what did you want the group to be about and to to show really other people it was all it was all to do with just the, the health benefits of moving so not specifically cancer but it seemed a sensible way in um so at that point it was all around the time of the nhs 70th birthday that yeah. park run celebrated um and park run practices being set up um so it was all just a, a sort of, of link in there um so yes i suppose the we had a sort of slogan, didn't we, early on about it being coffee morning with a difference. Yeah, yeah, um, with a difference. It, yeah. Was, it was around that concept that actually running, walking, volunteering, uh, supporting, cheering, um, but then having coffee and cake afterwards was also totally acceptable. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So um, it was around that whole concept of, of support in that way. Unfortunately, um, then obviously with lockdown, it was a bit more difficult in the coffee aspect yeah. of it. Um, yeah. And so we used to we used to have tables saved inside um, and then uh, obviously couldn't do that. Um, yeah. We'll and I think from from lockdown and the new norms changed slightly, but groups and the ways of doing things are slowly getting back to normal. But people, you know, do things and what they're comfortable with still at this stage. And the groups, you know, we had the group on uh, the groups met up on Saturday again, last Saturday of every month. And it was brilliant to see all the images from around the country in your group yeah. as well. And I think, you know, hopefully it gives that support and inspiration to people who are living with and beyond cancer, but also like, we spoke about before it can be very difficult for family and friends during mm. a cancer diagnosis or when somebody's living with cancer and actually to be able to come with to come and support somebody at a 5k away group can show the real positive side of it positive side of yeah. community you know not being on your own sharing the experience of like-minded people and I think that's really important yes I think at the beginning we were getting some way with that that supporting those with family affected members as well. Um, but we've always found, because neither of us, we've only got two ambassadors, um, 
So one thing I think we need to look for is more in the future. Yeah. Um, that's something to talk about a different place, really. Um, but also I'm aware that neither of us work in the hospital or in oncology. Um, and so we've struggled in getting ourselves known. Um, and so that's one of my things in the next few months is to actually try and get my uh, input back into oncology in Bedford Hospital so that we're known about um, because at the moment our our um, 5k your way is mostly those who were part runners anyway and yeah. they have got cancer um, yeah. or been affected in some way since then yeah and I think that's a priority of ours as an organization from every service that we deliver is that actually the the key is to be able to provide every person with cancer to be having the opportunity to be signposted to one of our programs, whether that's the resources that we have, the online program for young people or 5K Away Move Against Cancer initiative. And people actually aren't even necessarily hearing about it. And that's why one of our most important objectives is actually to make sure healthcare professionals are involved in the initiative. Um, but we have people at the cancer care centres and the primary treatment hospitals who will talk about it and promote it with patients. So I think that's, yeah. like say, it's, it's not, people think it's easy to do, but it's not because it's about building relationships. You know, the healthcare system is under strain. There's a lot going on, a lot of messages that need to be given to patients. But we also have so many healthcare professionals like you, Jenny, who are really inspired to talk about exercise and cancer and know how important it is, use it as a tool themselves, um, whether they've had cancer or not. And I think that's for us so refreshing to see that there are people who still want to shout about it and know how important it is. Yes, yeah. Yes, because um, certainly one of our experiences, I ended up um, manning a stand at a health watch, Bedford Health Watch, uh, do um, again before lockdown um, and we got leaflets and so on but clearly that all went into I don't know where um, yeah Covid was an absolute nightmare for everybody wasn't it <laughs> kind of yeah everything to a halt and it's strange that yeah we're two years on and you know the way things were done has changed hasn't it and a lot of us have yes, to yes. start again mm which is mad. So let's let's move on um, to your fundraising challenge. So you are doing an epic fundraising challenge to raise money for Move Charity. So can you tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, so I was just sort of, I mean, I've done some fundraising for, um, well, for different charities over the years. So um, I suppose really started, yeah, little bits and pieces. But then in 2016, I got a, um, so before 5K Your Way, I got a ballot place for the London Marathon. Um, and I'd always said I wanted to do a marathon just once. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so thinking, and there's loads of cancer charities out there, but there was none that really hooked me. And I've got a friend who's visually impaired um, and her guide dog was coming up to retirement and she was going through the process of, of getting a, another guide dog. So actually i i said i'd support them and i raised enough to um to name a guide dog pup um oh, who is now a brood bitch uh, and her first puppies are now going out to uh starting to work so that's really exciting stuff that's um, and in those days fundraising was a bit easier um because generally people have more money than they do now I'd not been fundraising very much for anything before. Um, 
and well fluffy dogs are always an inspiration aren't they uh, and a, a reason to give and, and guide dogs has a pro high profile you can see something for it yeah um, and of course yeah with just giving that makes such a difference that you don't have to go there remember when I was at school and everywhere where you've got your bit of paper and you're trying to work out who'd sponsored you what and, and, yeah, and, then, and then they denied it and you know and then you, you had to put the money in yourself um sort of thing whereas just giving it takes it and even if you don't complete the event it's it's happened yeah um, but um yeah I I really enjoyed doing the well enjoyed not the right word I yeah I did enjoy doing the London Marathon said never again but Emma my friend uh who's visually impaired said now i want to do it <laughs> so you had no choice <laughs> um, so um i said well i'll help you train up but her husband was going to guide and then he got injured so i ended up doing a guide runner for london marathon the next year Amazing, which is a completely yeah. different experience different yeah. yeah so that was my experience of, of fundraising there um but then when 5k your way started um, one thing I've always wanted to do was to um, run the Great North Run as well. That was sort of my, you know, London and the Great North, the two iconic races, as it were. Um, and so then in for 2020, uh, you gave me a place. Yeah. And of course, then that got cancelled. So I did do it last year. Um, Where they changed the course last year as well, didn't they? They did, yes, which had pros and cons. Made it quite tough, um, I heard. Uh, it was quite tough. It was hillier, apparently. Yeah. Um, but the great thing about it was actually, as a, um, I was starting quite late in the day. So Andy, my husband and I, we were just in the middle of Newcastle at the beginning of it. We saw the elites coming back in, um, oh, really? already finishing. Uh, and we were right in the middle of Newcastle as the Red Arrows went over. It was a, a great experience. Wow, yeah, that was yeah. incredible. Um, so much better, actually, than having been slogging out on the course. Um, yeah, so uh, for us, that worked great. But uh, I was thinking at the then, um, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to be 60 next year. And so at that point, the idea of some sort of set of challenges and if i was going to fundraise with it it might as well be for 5k your way yeah um, and move obviously um so it, it started i during lockdown um i started two things i started um started uh open water swimming um, oh, so do you do that for the first time so i did that for that for the first time in lockdown i'd always said oh never i'd have you know, I'm a breaststroker. I swim, you know, with head up, looking around like a swan. Um, <laughs> and uh, we had a group of us park runners that used to have a virtual coffee every Saturday morning. Um, and uh, and uh, several of them were open water swimmers and kept saying, Jenny, you'd really enjoy it. And I was saying, no, 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 I wouldn't really enjoy it. But eventually on one hot, sunny day in the middle of that summer, tried it and thought, actually, yes, I do enjoy it. <laughs> On the hot sunny days, it's lovely. Yeah. It's when you get the cloud and the, it gets yeah. a little bit colder. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, the hot sunny is fine. It's it's when it's, it's when it's wet afterwards. That's the worst. Yeah, um, but when you get your hot chocolate or cup of tea afterwards, sat yeah. over yeah. the lake, it's amazing. Yeah. So anyway, I, I thought, well, one thing I want to do, I want to be able to do 5K swimming. Wow. Um, but as a head-up breaststroker, I need to learn to front crawl. Um, so I thought, well, that's two challenges, isn't it? 
that is a big challenge. And then swim 5k. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd always been able to do distance. I used to do two miles as a teenager. So I was in, in a pool, but yeah, yeah it was, yeah. was different. Um, and then this same group of people introduced, reintroduced me to kayaking as well, which I'd really enjoyed as a teenager. Um, done a couple of times as a um, an adult with the assistant that lives in New Zealand. Um, oh, lovely. Yes, yes. She, she's right by the sea, so she can see kayak. Um, so um, they said, oh, that's kayaking from Bedford uh, and that you pay £10 and we're going to river clean. OK, and it all goes to charity. So I really enjoyed that and got into it and ended up doing quite a lot more. Um we all so, need this group of friends of yours to push us to do new things. Yeah. This sounds amazing. Yeah. So um, then I saw that they've got some holidays on this year. And one of them is um, actually next week. Um, so four days sea kayaking on the Jurassic Coast. Wow. Do you know, Jenny, when I was looking at what you'd wrote in your email about that, I started to Google it because I was thinking it actually inspired me because I was like, I think I need a challenge. And that one sounded awesome. So I'll have to have a look at your photos when you've done it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so, yes. So I thought, well, um, yeah, why not? Uh, yeah. Matthew said, yes, you know, I do all these things with classic cars. You go and enjoy yourself as well. <laughs> so, Amazing. Yeah. So, um, so I booked that up. Um, and so I've had a few little practice sessions and I did do a, a white water training session a couple of weeks ago uh, wow. in preparation as well. So what will that be? How long do you kayak every day and how many miles? Kayak every day, camp. Yeah. So I thought it was going to be sort of starting at point A and ending up at four days later at point B. But it's actually four trips out. Um, oh, nice. Including one which takes us across to the Needles in the Isle of Wight. Um, wow so you could get completely different yeah. waters depending on yeah. the day where you're going yeah 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 and depending on tides and everything so yeah. and is there a group of you doing it Jenny is there a big group um, yeah so it's a planned holiday with with um trained instructors and so on oh so. that sounds awesome you'll have to do a blog for us to say yeah. I think it's always good because people Sometimes you're listening to something and it, it kind of prompts you to think, oh, maybe I could do that and see yeah. you know, see what happens. You'll have to have a, yeah, definitely some photos to share about that. Because yeah. it's a big challenge, yeah. isn't it, that is. Sorry? A big, it's a big challenge to do physically as well as mentally. It is, yes. Yeah, so I've been trying to build up those shoulders again now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing I've always wanted to do is a... Um, well, not always wanted to do, but since I've done the, the marathon, thinking, actually, am I capable of an ultra? And wow. like I say, I'm a country girl, so I like to, to be outside. Um, so I looked and I saw the Yorkshire Ultra and thought, Yorkshire, I trained in Yorkshire. I love Yorkshire. Um, so I entered that. So the other bits and pieces that I've got in between, like last weekend, uh, like MK Marathon and so on, are actually in training for doing uh, the Yorkshire yeah. uh, Ultra in the summer. That's awesome. So there's a lot of training going on, land, sea, <laughs> everything really. I think it's also, I think some people, just from a fundraising perspective, and I, I'm one of them and I founded Move Charity, can find fundraising really daunting because actually it's something that, you know, you feel like you're asking people for money and it can feel really tough. But actually what you're showing as well is it 
can be a really amazing journey. So you're doing some, having incredible goals and you're going on these awesome challenges and you're mm-hmm. fundraising along the way for a cause that you feel really passionate about. And I think so it's a win-win for everybody in that situation, isn't it? And actually you're achieving some of your own dreams, but then asking people to support you along the way, um, but for something that they can see where the money goes to, which is also important, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, the main thing is for me. I'll yeah. Totally yeah. honest. The fundraising is actually a secondary thing. If I'm yeah. doing this and I can raise some money along the way for for, for move and um, 5K your way, then that's great. Yeah. Um, but actually, finally, I'm doing it for me. And I shall probably uh, end up spending far more than I've ever um, fundraised, as it were. Um, but look at that, it. Yeah, look at what you get to tick off your bucket list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's, I was diagnosed when I was 45. So it will be 15 years uh, when I'm 60 from, from diagnosis. So, yeah, just thankful to be here. Thankful. Yeah, thankful for so much, really. And still challenging your body and mind in your 60th year. It'll be a 60th year to remember, certainly. It certainly will be, yes. So, um, yes, Brilliant. so I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, well, thank you so much as well for choosing Move um, Charity and our 5K Way initiative to raise money for. You know how grateful we are about that. And what we'll also do is share your journey on our social media and also your Just Giving page so people know how to support and how to follow you. Because I'm sure... Like myself, there's a lot of people who are looking at that kayaking weekend that you're going on next week and thinking, oh, maybe I might I might have a try at that one day. Um, mm. But um, Jenny, we usually, we're going to round it up now. I could talk. I always say we're going to try and keep these podcasts to 45 minutes. Never does. <laughs> I could talk to you. <laughs> I've just noticed the time at the top. <laughs> it goes so quick when you're having fun, doesn't it? Um, but I usually finish with some quick fire questions. And actually, I went a little bit wrong at the start of the podcast because I was supposed to ask you a question that I started off in my last podcast, but we're going to ask it on the quick fire questions anyway. Um, so my first question is, what does move against, moving against cancer mean to you? I think it's that move, okay? It's not exercise, it's moving. Um, it's just so positive. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's to do with moving and every little bit of movement. I mean, I I wear a Fitbit now, have done for a few years and it picks up bits of movement. So it doesn't necessarily have to be anything exotic. (coughs) Sorry. Um, You know, if I'm in the end consulting room, it picks up more steps than if I'm in the one close. So it's about yeah, moving, not necessarily exercising or running or swimming or kayaking or anything else yeah just just about getting started i think that's a good message follow that up my hay fever's kicking off now (laughs) oh don't worry at all it's quite quite bad at the moment hay fever yeah i feel like we've been sent into a false um security with spring coming in summer and then we're going to get whacked with some snow on thursday apparently So long as it's gone by next week. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm I'm running Manchester Marathon on Sunday. So my dad actually said to me, don't worry about the weather on Thursday, Gemma. It'll disappear. He's like, don't panic. It'll be fine. <laughs> so anybody who's running Manchester on Sunday, don't worry about the weather on Thursday, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I doctored for that really hot marathon in London Marathon in 2018. Yeah. You want it cooler. Yeah. That's the hardest day on record, wasn't it? For that yeah. time time of year yeah. yeah I 
we had a few friends and my dad did that one and we saw we were watching people on the tracker and some of our friends started out way too hard and we saw them gradually just get further and further away or stopping so yeah I was after the finish and uh, treated I don't know how many heat strokes and all these really normally really fit club runners who were really upset because they keeled over at the end when they thought they were you know super good because they didn't listen to the advice of taking it slower in the heat and changing your race tactics. No, didn't no. <laughs> okay, so I've got just a couple of questions. One bit of advice that you would give somebody who wants to join a 5K UA group or your 5K UA group but finds it a little bit intimidating? Be honest about the intimidation because even though some of us will run it, um we're always willing to step back and just walk it um if that's the right way depending on who's there we're there for you um yeah we're not there for our own benefit our pbs come other weeks yeah i love that we're there for you we need to use that as a tagline because that's really i think when you hear that you're like actually yeah they're there for me and sometimes mm -hmm. i was think just to add to that advice it's getting yourself down there before you make a judgment on how you feel about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, okay. Do you have a book that you love or would recommend in terms of something you read recently or something that is, has inspired you? Um, I suppose two books to talk about. Um, oh, there's, there's lots, I'm reading much more than I ever have done three books actually but I can't remember the name of the third book there's a novel that a lady has written um uh, about running with breast cancer that is really good it's actually quite deep and hilariously funny um but I can't remember the name of it so um oh you have to <laughs> just I'll let you let you know that yeah and we'll put it in the name um, yeah another brilliant book um is Liz O'Riordan and Trish Greenhouse I think it is um her their book on breast cancer um wish I'd had that available um yeah uh, when I was diagnosed um and the third book um to give a plug to is from our own um 5k your way ambassador Caroline Garrett and I know I wrote the um <laughs> I know I wrote the forward for it um but it's a fantastic resource about exercise and it doesn't even need to be for cancer. I would recommend it to um, uh, to anybody who's had abdominal surgery or anything. But actually, even anybody with COPD or heart disease or, yeah, or just wanting to get moving more. Um, yeah. And particularly the benefits. It's not just it's not just cardio that's important. Um, strength training is, is important. My mum showed that at 80, uh, that strength training is crucial. Uh, and more and more, if you look at NHS guidelines about uh, movement, they mention strength training. And again, it's not it's not lifting huge weights, uh, you know, and building muscles and, and and taking protein shakes and so on. It's just yeah, basic strength training. Um, yeah. They're brilliant book recommendations. And I think that what you said about Carolyn's book, uh, we've had Carolyn on the podcast yes, as well. Have yes. a listen to that episode if you haven't listened to it. But her book, as you say, is brilliant. And I think sometimes reading those books, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, can give you an understanding of what strength training is, not what you perceive it to be from what you've seen on social media, but actually what it can be. And it can mm. 
you know, it can be very different to what you think it is in terms of lifting really heavy weights, going in the gym. So I think Carolyn's book explains that really well and gives you confidence that you can start strength training or you can do different types of training. Um, you don't have to, doesn't just have to be what you see on social media. Mm, yes. Brilliant. So one last question, Jenny. So um, I just wanted to ask you, because I wasn't quite sure if you've done any parkrun tourism or that you would choose your own parkrun. What's the best park run or your favourite park run location? Oh, I've got a few. Um, I really enjoyed going to Bushy. Um, so I've oh. done about 25 others. I really enjoyed going to Bushy. Um, just running past this absolutely regal stag sitting there watching us was was uh, was amazing. Um, I really uh, enjoyed, I did Seaton a few weeks ago when I did the Grizzly Run. I enjoyed that being by the sea. Um, I enjoyed Whitley Bay being up by the sea as well. Um, but closer to home, Rushmere is another good one. Um, yeah, I like the cross-country ones more. Um, and I don't like, I know Bedford's a two and a half lap, but um, I don't like too many laps, to be honest. <laughs> so. That's that's awesome. So if people do need any recommendations for some park run tourism, then they need to um, they need to, to have a chat with you, Jenny, because you sound like you've got a lot of experience of doing different ones, which is awesome. I like to do different ones when I'm there. So, um, yeah, um, I enjoyed Yeah, I did enjoy Forest Wreck as well when I oh, did that. That's yeah. our, our starting, our first ever 5K Your Way group. Yeah, yes. For those of you who haven't been following us from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and we'll be back there, actually. We're having an ambassador day coming up soon um, where we bring all of our ambassadors or as many as we can together um, to make 5K Your Way initiative even better um, and to share each other's advice and guidance and stories. So, yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. Oh, it's, it'll be a brilliant day. So we did have our first one pre-lockdown and we were supposed to have one every year since but obviously COVID put a stop to that but we, we will be back with that this year so yeah mm. really excited about that but thank you so much Jenny for your time on the podcast today it's been fantastic um, well, to listen you. to your story and for you to share your story and I know that so many people will take so much from this episode um, so thank you very much thank you I knew this was going to be a great episode after I listened back to one of our workshops, which is on our YouTube channel this morning that Jenny did with Lucy and Georgie. And I knew that Jenny would provide so much advice, inspiration, and just share her story, which gets you to really think about different elements of her life, whether that's being a patient or somebody diagnosed with cancer, whether it's a healthcare professional and a doctor like Jenny is, or whether it's somebody who just wants to challenge themselves to do different challenges like kayaking, open water swimming, and about really, I think it inspires you to, what Jenny said is to take some first steps and don't overthink things and just give things a try. I think that's one of the, the key messages I got from her journey, and especially when she was diagnosed with cancer and bringing exercise into that the way she dealt with treatment and that she just thought she'd just try things out, test things out and see what see what happened. And it was just a really great episode to cover a wide range of issues, you know, um, factors that impact on your life, coping with cancer when you're a doctor, how doctors also communicate with patients, but then how also 
different things are really close to Jenny's heart, like her 5K UA move against Cancer Group because of how that was set up and what that means to her. So, so much to cover. And it's really hard straight after a podcast to digest it all and bring our learnings to the table. But hopefully you took something either simple, special or amazing or life-changing from that podcast, whatever it is, I'm sure there was one thing that you could take home with you um, today after listening to that. So I want to say a huge thank you to Jenny for her time today. We've also, at the end of the podcast, when we had a little bit of a chat afterwards, a little bit of a debrief, we also spoke about doing a podcast with Jenny around um, menopause and the cancer journey. And I think that that's that is also from young people diagnosed with cancer all the way to the different age ranges, what you might experience. I don't think there's enough information out about that. We don't think it's talked about enough. And Jenny feels like she can actually provide a really great insight into that topic area. So we're going to get Jenny back on and a couple of other people for that episode in our next series. So watch this space on that. And we look forward to bringing that um, to you soon. So have a fantastic day, everybody. Grab your cup of tea, take a moment out just to reflect on that podcast and we will see you back for our next episode soon. 